liftoff and the clock has started. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. That's right. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Welcome to the show. My name is Doug Prezak. Thank you very much for uh, for tuning in. You know, I know you have a lot of uh, choices and podcasts to listen to. All kinds of famous people have podcasts. And for some reason, you, you chose this one. And I appreciate it. I really do. I'm honored that you decided you wanted to uh, take 20 minutes of your life and give it to me to listen to this nonsense. You know, if you had a podcast, I'd listen to yours. I really would. No matter how long it is, I would listen. That's that's my promise to you. And uh, let's thank Shauna for uh, being the announcer of this episode. Shauna is a longtime listener. I believe all 36 episodes so far. So thank you very much, Shauna, for doing that. And also, I encourage you to uh, follow me or this podcast on that Instagram thing. The only reason is to know when, you know, the next episode gets posted. I don't, uh, that way you don't have to keep guessing. I don't get any money from it. Uh, You only get two notifications from me, you know, uh, a tease on a Wednesday saying, hey, there's an episode coming. And then (laughs) a notice when the podcast is finally up. So you're not going to get buried by crap from me. Um, but at least that way you'll know you don't have to you don't have to keep guessing when there's a new episode so you can do that so if you want to sign up it's really easy it's uh 20mynngb like in 20 minutes you'll never get back i didn't want to spell out the whole thing it would be a ridiculously long title anyway 20mynngb that's the instagram thing sign up for that and you'll find out what's happening when when and when <laughs> all right Business is out of the way. Uh, Let's get on with today's show. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that uh, at the point of my verbal machinations arrive in my head because I've either heard something or a a random thought just pops into my head or because I've I've seen something. Well, that's how uh, episode 37 has come to be. It's Easter time. You can't and you can't escape them. You know what I'm talking about? Those stupid chocolate bunnies. You know, it makes no difference where you are. They're there. Um, obviously, you can, they're all over the place in grocery stores, the uh, big box chain stores. You know, I won't mention any names, but places like Bargett or Hallmark, um, they have chocolate bunnies. I was in Home Depot. Uh, chocolate bunnies, what were they thinking? Were they thinking, I'll go in there for a couple of two-by-fours and a box of nails and suddenly say, oh, hey, I do need a chocolate bunny. Thank God they're right here. (laughs) Anyway, they're everywhere. So, yes, I got influenced uh, this episode by the proliferation of chocolate bunnies everywhere. Well, you probably know what happened next. Why bunnies? Why chocolate ones? Yep, I did the research, so you don't have to. Now, if you grew up celebrating Easter... You probably took it for granted that a Christian holiday about Jesus Christ's death and resurrection somehow involved a lot of images around eggs and rabbits. It's even weirder when you stop to think about it that uh, rabbits don't lay eggs. So how then did a rabbit find its way into the Easter thing? Well, as with many things that happened in the Middle Ages, there isn't a great historical record about exactly when or how or why rabbits and Easter kind of became uh, synonymous with each other. Some people say the hare was associated with the Germanic pagan goddess Eoster, who was celebrated at the start of each spring. This theory makes a lot of kind of intuitive sense and may very well be true, but it's been really hard to corroborate historically. Simultaneously, the hare functioned as a popular motif in medieval Christian art, 
for a rather curious reason. Since the time of ancient Greeks, many believe rabbits to reproduce asexually without, (laughs) without losing their virginity, which is pretty much the exact opposite of how we think about rabbits today. At the same time, eggs were regarded as a symbol of fertility, given their obvious connection with new life, and some churches would have their congregation abstain from eating eggs during Lent, which heightened connection with Easter. Painted eggs also date back centuries, and they actually predate the notion of Easter candy. Now, I know you're saying to yourself, hey, Doug, I haven't heard a word about chocolate yet. (laughs) Hang on. We're getting there, okay? It's a slow burn. I've got 20 minutes to fill. The Easter bunny is a Germanic export. Now, though there was never any sense that rabbits actually laid eggs, the modern idea of the creature comes from the Osterhaus, which is an egg-laying hare from Germanic folklore that would leave behind colorful chicken or duck eggs for children who laid out a nest for the mythical being. Some sources suggest that German immigrants who settled in Pennsylvania during the 1700s planted the seeds for the tradition on this side of the Atlantic. All right, so now we have the Easter Bunny. How do we get it chocolatized? And I just made that word up, chocolatized. Feel free to use it if you'd like. Given that cacao trees aren't native to Germany or Pennsylvania, chocolate wasn't abundantly available in the early days of the Easter Bunny. However, major chocolate breakthroughs in Europe during the latter half of the 19th century put us on the path towards mass production. The 1876 invention of milk chocolate by Swiss chocolatier Daniel Peter was a major breakthrough, which eventually spread worldwide with a little help from his friend Henri Nestle. Mm-hmm, get it, Nestle, yeah? In 1879, Rudolf Lint, another chocolate name, developed the first conch machine, which mixes, agitates, and aerates chocolate. This rapidly brought chocolate's appearance in our candy consciousness. The chocolate Easter bunny as we know it finally began to take shape about a decade later thanks to a product developed in Germany and an interesting bit of promotion in the United States. According to an exhibition within Munich's Center for Unusual Museums, there's evidence that one of the earliest tins for making a chocolate rabbit can be traced back to 1890, paving the way for the chocolate Osterhausen of today. Now, perhaps not so coincidentally, a Pennsylvania drugstore owner named Robert L. Strohecker made headlines for a five-foot-tall chocolate rabbit he displayed in 1890, which the Smithsonian Magazine credits was sending sales of chocolate bunnies jumping. Wow. (laughs) A cheesy rabbit joke by the Smithsonian. Oh, man. What's next? That's like the American Medical Association saying, where's the Easter bunny study medicine? Well, at John Hopkins. (laughs) I cannot believe I did that. Okay. By the 20th century, newspapers noticed, quote, the growing popularity in the states of that chocolate rabbit. (laughs) And by uh, 1925, a catalog from the R.E. Rhoda Candy Company featured guitar-playing bunnies, suggesting perhaps that ordinary chocolate bunnies were old hat by then. While hollow molds had entered the picture by 1939, when a newspaper advertisement mentions hollow chocolate rabbits were sold for five cents each. The bunny business hit a snag in late 1942 when the War Production Board halted the manufacture of all such chocolate novelties, reasoning that cocoa rations should be saved for staple civilian and military purposes such as breakfast cocoa and candy bars. 
So let's talk about just how a chocolate Easter bunny is born. Well, it's a delicate procedure, especially in the case of larger chocolate bunnies, but it's not as complicated as you might think. I actually had never really even thought about how complicated it may be, but anyway, essentially one fills a mold with melted chocolate and lets it sit for long enough for some of the chocolate to solidify on the inside. The mold is rotated so that the chocolate forms an even shell. Then the excess liquid chocolate is drained out and what's left cools for a bit longer before the mold is carefully removed and any excess chocolate is trimmed away. The chocolate bunny makers say it's not rocket science, but the end product has contributed almost as much to humankind over the years. Oh, I don't think so. Moving on, uh, apparently there are a lot of people who just hate the hollow chocolate bunnies, but there's actually a, a pretty good reason why the bigger chocolate bunnies have a hollow center. Frankly, it's to save your teeth. A piece of chocolate that's over half an inch thick becomes nearly impossible to bite and on top of that, a emergency trip to the dentist doesn't make for a really fun Easter Sunday. According to Mark Schlott, and he's the VP of operations at the major chocolate bunny manufacturer, R.M. Palmer, he says, quote, if you had a larger size bunny and it was solid chocolate, it would be like a brick. You'd be breaking teeth. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Of course, it just so happens that what's best for your teeth also helps confectioners cut down the chocolate cost, right? There's just not as much chocolate in there. Coincidence? Eh, you decide. Well, this is a great time to take a break. When we come back, I'll have more chocolate Easter bunny facts for you, plus the age-old question, which part of the chocolate Easter bunny do you bite first? I'll be right back. Don't risk offending. Take a daily bath with a new Life Boy. You'll notice right away... Its clean scent tells you it stops B.O., but in double-quick time, that scent will go. That's because Life Boy now is better than ever. Get several cakes of a new Life Boy today. From your head down to your toe, Life Boy stops that old B.O., and the scent sure vanishes away. Oh, I don't even know where to start with that one. <laughs> I'll just say, boy, they don't make commercials like that anymore, do they? All right, let's get back to chocolate bunnies. Um, it's no secret that the chocolate Easter bunnies are popular with consumers, but the numbers tell the real story when it comes to just how popular they are. Utilizing statistics provided by the National Confectioners Association reported in 2017 that a whopping 90 million chocolate bunnies were sold in the United States that year. The report also noted that the Easter holiday in and of itself was responsible for generating an estimated $18.4 billion in spending for that year within the U.S. The report estimated that 120 million pounds of Easter candy is purchased in the United States each year with chocolate bunnies representing a substantial portion of all that sweet spending. In fact, chocolate is far and away the most popular Easter candy with 90% of parents typically putting some sort of chocolate treat in their kids' Easter baskets and then promptly snagging some when the kids weren't looking. Guilty. 
Okay, you have your chocolate bunny. The next issue is where do you start? Now, eating a chocolate Easter bunny is kind of a ritual, and the most people say they have a very specific way of doing it. According to Science Daily, yes, they did a study that surveyed more than 28,000 respondents. They revealed that an overwhelming majority of people start with the ears. In fact, 59% of people who enjoy chocolate Easter bunnies start with the ears, while 33% of the respondents claim they have no preference. Liars. A mere 4%, however, said they preferred to eat the bunny by starting with the feet or the tail. <laughs> okay. I'm an ear man myself. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just sticking up right there. But you be you. You eat it however you want. Okay. It's your bunny. Okay. I just got a text. Somebody sent in a question. Doug, what was the world's largest chocolate Easter bunny? I'm completely lying. You can't possibly text me while I'm recording the show. <laughs> recording the show. Anyway, the world's largest chocolate Easter bunny stands a head and shoulders and then some above the rest. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, in 2014, a Brazilian company called Senec RS celebrated the city of Gramado's annual Choco Fest by constructing a mammoth 8,488-pound chocolate bunny that was officially declared the world's largest. It reportedly took a nine-person team five days to construct the bunny using 6,000 large bars of chocolate that were set like bricks. Melted chocolate was used as a type of mortar, you know, kind of essentially mimicking the same process to be used a brick wall. A professional engineer was brought in to, quote, ensure the stability of the towering bunny. Next, a sculptor was brought in using an axe and a chisel to create the bunny's final design. Giganto Bunny that's what I named it, stayed on display for a week, and when Choco Fest concluded, the rabbit was deconstructed. As for the chocolate itself, it was later donated to the Mesa Brazil, which is a nationwide organization that distributes food to the needy throughout the country. Well, Giganto Bunny is the largest bunny on record, how about the most expensive? Well, big spenders looking to drop some big bucks on Easter should take note of an opulent chocolate bunny with a five-figure price tag, reportedly to be the most expensive ever created. HuffPost shared back in 2015 that the bunny was produced by a now defunct luxury retailer, Very First Two. Never heard of them. I guess that's why they're now defunct. Anyway, it had a jaw-dropping $49,000 price tag. The life-size chocolate bunny weighed 11 pounds and was made from Tanzania-origin chocolate. To create the costly confection, renowned pastry chef Martin Shivers hand-carved the chocolate over a two-day period. As for the bunny's extravagant expense, chocolate up to its glittering eyes, made from massive diamonds said to be worth $37,400, while a trio of chocolate eggs at the bunny's feet were decorated with gold leaf. Good Lord. Shivers admitted in an interview that, quote, the project was challenging in every aspect, but for me, it was mostly about getting the right shape and doing carving well to achieve perfection. Adding that he, quote, sought perfection in the shapes and structures which would play nicely with the precious diamonds. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. And how about this? If you consider yourself a professional chocolate Easter bunny eater, well, you might want to consider competitive eating. Yes, there is a competitive eating competition of chocolate Easter bunnies. You know, most people will see chocolate Easter bunny as just kind of a, a yummy treat to snack down on. But a competitive eater, however, 
will see the bunny as a challenge that must be met. Wolfgang Confectioners of York, Pennsylvania, held its Chocolate Bunny Challenge, in which each competitor attempted to consume a 1.25-pound chocolate bunny as quick as humanly possible. Steve Hillegrass set a record in 2015 by inhaling the entire chocolate bunny in 7 minutes and 57 seconds. For anyone contemplating entering the competitive chocolate bunny eating game, the pros insist the best way to get it done is to first crush the bunny, poor bunny, and then eat the small pieces. It's a far faster method than gnawing away at it in all one piece. Duh! And now for one of the most bizarre chocolate Easter bunnies, head to Ikea. That's right. For those who enjoy the uh, fake carpentry involved in putting together Ikea furniture, the Swedish home decor retailer unveiled its own version of a chocolate Easter bunny in 2019. Like its iconic bookcases and end tables, Ikea's chocolate bunny is packed flat and must be unpacked and then assembled by hand. Ikea's description of their Varkensla chocolate bunny is, quote, go ahead, play with your food. That's what the certified sustainable chocolate bunny is for. It's easily assembled and only in three parts. And when you're finished playing, we bet you enjoy eating it too, end quote. <laughs> oh, those wacky Swedes. Varkensla translates into spring feeling, which I guess that's what you'd experience when constructing a flat pack chocolate bunny. With only three pieces to assemble, the chocolate bunny, which is made from UTZ certified cacao and contains a minimum of 30% cocoa, is reportedly a breeze to put together. The best part, there is no Allen wrench required. Well, so there you have it, the chocolate Easter bunny. It's a 130-year-old Pennsylvanian of German descent who's missing his internal organs and, for the most part, goes deaf immediately. And with that, we will wrap up this episode. And what have we learned? Well, we learned that ancient Greeks believed that rabbits reproduce asexually without losing their virginity. We learned that a Pennsylvania drugstore owner had a five-foot-tall chocolate rabbit he displayed. We learned that it's not complicated to make a <laughs> hollow Easter bunny. And like I said at the beginning of the show, chocolate Easter bunnies are everywhere, even in Ikea. That will do it. Thank you very much for listening. I always appreciate it. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com, and uh, you can... Uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. <laughs>